Chapter 77 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 77. The evening was calm and serene. The moon shone full in the heavens and nine o'clock had just sounded with a clear, deep tone from the clock of an ancient priory, when Joseph and Consuelo, having sought in vain for a bell at the gate of the enclosure, made the circuit of the silent habitation, in the hope of being heard by some hospitable inmate. But in vain. All the gates were locked. Not the barking of a dog was heard, nor could the least light be seen at the windows of the gloomy edifice. This is the palace of silence, said Hayden, laughing. And if that clock had not twice repeated, with its slow and solemn voice, the four quarters in ut and in sea, and the nine strokes of the hour in sol below, I should think the place abandoned to owls and ghosts. The surrounding country was a desert. Consuelo felt much fatigued, and moreover this mysterious priory had an attraction for her poetic imagination. Even if we had to sleep in some chapel, said she to Beppo, I long to pass the night here. Let us endeavor to get in at any rate, even if we are obliged to scale the wall, which does not seem a very difficult task. Come, said Joseph, I will make a short ladder for you, and when you are on the top I will pass quickly to the other side, to serve you as steps in descending. No sooner said than done. The wall was extremely low, and two minutes afterward, our young sacrilegious adventurers were walking calmly within the sacred precincts. It was a beautiful kitchen garden cultivated with the nicest care. The fruit trees, trained along the wall in a fan-like shape, opened to all comers their long arms, loaded with rosy apples and golden pears. From the graceful trellises of vines hung, like so many chandeliers, enormous bunches of juicy grapes. The large square beds of vegetables had likewise their peculiar beauty. The asparagus, with its graceful stalks and silky foliage, brilliant with the evening dew, resembled forest of Lilliputian firs, covered with a silvery gauze. The peas, spread in light garlands upon their branches, formed long alleys and narrow and mysterious lanes, in which the little birds, hardly yet asleep, murmured with low, quavering voices. The sunflowers, huge leviathans of this sea of verdure, displayed great masses of orange on their broad and dark green leaves. The little artichokes, like tributary crowned heads, grouped themselves round their chief, which grew from the central stem, and the melons, like lazy Chinese mandarins in their palanquins, hid coyly beneath their shades, each of whose crystal domes, reflected in the light of the moon's rays, seemed an enormous sapphire, against which the dazzled beetles dashed their heads with a low and prolonged hum. A hedge of roses separated the kitchen garden from the parterre, 
and surrounded the building as with a girdle of flowers. This inner enclosure was a species of Elysium. Rare and magnificent shrubs shaded exotic plants of exquisite perfume. The flowers were so close together as to completely hide the soil, and each plot resembled an immense base. How singular the influence of outward objects on the mind and body. Consuelo had no sooner breathed the perfumed air and cast a glance upon this sweet and tranquil spot than she felt herself refreshed as if she had already slept the sound and dreamless sleep of the monks. Well, is it not wonderful, Beppo, said she. In looking at this garden, I have already forgotten the stony road and my tired and swollen feet. It seems to me that I am refreshed through the medium of my eyes. I have always hated well-kept orderly gardens and every place surrounded with walls. And yet, after so much dust and so long a march upon the parched and withered soil, this appears to me a paradise. I was dying with thirst just now, but by looking upon these sweet plants open to the dew of night, it seems as if I drank along with them, and my thirst is already quenched. Look, Joseph, is it not charming to see these flowers display their beauties beneath the light of the moon? Ah, look at them, but smile not at those great white stars nestling in the velvet grass. I am not quite sure of their name. Sweet by night, I think it is. Oh, they are well named. They are indeed bright and beautiful as the stars of heaven. They nod their graceful heads with the slightest breath and seem as if they laughed and sported like a crown of young girls all clad in white. They recall to my mind my companions of the Scuola, when on Sundays, dressed in the costume of novices, they trip past the long walls of the church. Now see how they pause, motionless, and turn toward the moon. It would almost seem as if they were looking at and admiring her. And the moon, too, seems to look at them and hover over them like some huge bird of the night. Do you think, Beppo, that these creatures are insensible? I cannot think that a beautiful flower should stupidly vegetate without experiencing some delightful feelings. I do not speak of those poor little thistles which one sees along the hedgerows, dusty, sickly-looking, browsed upon by all the herds that pass. They seem like poor beggars sighing for a drop of water, which never comes to them. For the parched and thirsty soil drinks all up without heeding their supplicating looks. But these garden flowers, so cared for, so tended, they are proud and happy as queens. They pass their time coquettishly waving on their stems, and when the moon, their sweet friend, visits them, then they are already half asleep and rocked by gentle dreams. Perhaps they ask if there be flowers in the moon, as we ourselves ask whether there be men. Come now, Joseph, you are mocking me, and yet the pleasure which these snow-white flowers impart is no illusion. There is, in the air which they purify and refresh, a sovereign balm, and I feel as if there were an intimate relation between my life and that of all which breathes around me. How? How?
mock you, replied Joseph, sighing. Your words pass into my soul and vibrate in my heart, as on the strings of some instrument. But behold this dwelling, Consuelo, and explain to me, if you can, the sweet yet deep-seated melancholy with which it inspires me. Consuelo looked at the priory. It was a little building dating from the 12th century, formerly fortified with battlements, which had given place to pointed roofs of gray slate. The machiolated turrets, which had been left as an ornament, resembled large baskets. Luxuriant masses of ivy gracefully relieved the monotony of the walls, and upon the uncovered portions of the façade, now lighted by the moon, the breath of night cast the slender and uncertain shadow of the young poplars. Huge festoons of vine and jessamine encircled the doors and twined themselves around the windows. The dwelling is calm and melancholy, said Francuelo, but it does not inspire me with the same sympathy as the garden. Plants are made to vegetate, men to move and stir about. If I were a flower, I should wish to grow here, but here a flower were happy. But being a woman, I should not wish to live in a cell and be cased in stone. Would you be a monk then, Beppo? Heaven forbid, but I should love to work without having to look after either dwelling or food. I should like to lead a peaceful, retired life, tolerably comfortable, without the cares of poverty. In short, an easy existence, were it even dependent, provided always my mind were free, with no other duty, no other care, than to study and compose. Well, my dear comrade, you would compose calm and tranquil music by dint of being calm and tranquil yourself. And why not? What is more delightful than tranquility? The heavens are calm. The moon is calm. These flowers also, whose peaceful habits you admire. I like their immobility, because it succeeds the undulations which the breeze gives them. The serenity of the heavens strikes us, because we so often see them clouded by the storm. The moon is never so sublime as when she shines amid the dark clouds that sweep across her. Can repose be sweet without fatigue? In that case, it is no longer repose, but only a species of immobility. It is non-entity. It is death. Ah, if you had lived with me for months together in the castle of the giants, you would have seen that tranquility is not life. But what would you call tranquil music? Music too correct and too cold. Avoid such, if you would avoid the pains and fatigue of this world. Thus conversing, they approached close to the priory. A fountain of the purest water gushed from a globe of marble, surmounted by a golden cross, and fell from basin to basin till it reached a granite reservoir, hollowed into a shell, where a number of those little gold and silver fish with which children amuse themselves frisked about. Consuelo and Beppo, who were still children, entertained themselves by casting in grains of sand to deceive their gluttony and to enable them to admire their rapid movements, when all at once there advanced toward them a tall figure dressed in white 
and carrying a pitcher. As she approached the fountain, she bore no bad resemblance to one of the midnight washers who have formed part of the fanciful superstitions of most countries. The absence of mind or indifference with which she filled her vessel, without testifying either terror or surprise on seeing them, had in truth something strange and solemn in it. But the shriek which she uttered as she let her pitcher fall to the bottom of the water soon showed that there was nothing supernatural in her character. The good woman's sight was simply dim with years, and as soon as she perceived them, she fled toward the house, invoking the Virgin Mary and all the saints. "'What is the matter now, Dame Bridget?' exclaimed a man's voice from the interior. "'Have you seen an evil spirit?' Two devils, or rather two robbers, are there beside the fountain,' replied Dame Bridget." joining her interlocutor, who stood for some moments uncertain and incredulous on the threshold. It must be one of your panic terrors, dame. Would robbers, think you, come at this hour? I swear by my salvation that there are two dark motionless figures there. Don't you see them from this? I do see something, said the man, affecting to raise his voice. But I will ring for the gardener and his boys, and will soon bring these rascals to reason. They must have come over the wall, for I closed the doors. Meanwhile, let us close this one also, said the old lady, and then we shall sound the alarm bell. The door was closed, and the wanderers remained standing outside, not knowing well what to do. To fly were to confirm this bad opinion of them. To remain were to expose them to an attack. While they consulted together, they saw a ray of light stream through the shutters of a window on the first story. The light increased, and a curtain of crimson damask, behind which shone a lamp, was gently raised in a hand, to which the light of the full moon imparted a white and plump appearance, was visible on the border of the curtain, the fringes of which he carefully grasped, while a hidden eye probably examined objects outside. Sing, said Consuelo to her companion. That is what we had better do. Follow me. Let me lead. But no, take your violin and play me a ritonella, the first key you happen on. Joseph having obeyed, Consuelo began to sing with a clear, full voice, improvising, between music and prose, the following species of recitative in German. We are two poor children of fifteen, no larger and yet no worse than the nightingales, whose gentle strains we copy. Come, Joseph, said she in a low tone, something to sustain the recitative. Then she went on. Worn with fatigue and woe begone in the dreary night, we saw this house afar off, which seemed a solitude, and we ventured over the wall. According law, minor Joseph. We have reached the enchanted garden, filled with fruits worthy of the promised land. We die of hunger, we die of thirst, yet if one apple be wanting from the espalier, if one grape be missing from the vine, let us be expelled, undeserving as we should then prove. A modulation to return to Utmajor, Joseph. But they suspect 
They threaten us, and yet we would not flee. We do not seek to hide ourselves, because we have done no harm, unless indeed it be wrong to enter the house of God over walls, though were to scale a paradise, all roads are surely good. Consuela finished her recitative by one of those pretty hymns in mock Latin, called at Venice Latino di Pati, and which people sing at eve before the Madonna. Hardly had she finished when the two white hands, at first scarcely visible, applauded with transport, and a voice not altogether strange sounded in her ears. Disciples of the muses, you are welcome. Enter quickly. Hospitality invites and awaits you. The minstrels approached, and in an instant after, a domestic in red and violet livery courteously threw open the door. We took you for robbers. A thousand pardons, my dear young friends, he laughingly said. It is your own fault. Why did you not sing sooner? With such a passport, you would never fail of a welcome from my master. But enter. It appears he knows you already. Thus saying, the civil domestic preceded them a dozen steps up an easy stair, covered with a beautiful turkey carpet. Before Joseph had time to inquire his master's name, he had opened a folding door, which fell back of its own accord without noise, and after having crossed a comfortable antechamber, he introduced them to an apartment where the gracious patron of this happy abode, seated before a roast pheasant, flanked by two flasks of mellow wine, began his first course, keeping majestic and anxious eye at the same time on the second. On returning from his morning's excursion, he had caused his valet to arrange his toilette and had reclined for some time in order to restore his looks. His gray locks curled softly under the sweetly smelling hair powder of orris root, while his white hands rested on his black satin breeches, secured by silver buckles. His well-turned leg, of which he was somewhat vain, and over which a violet-covered stocking was tightly stretched, reposed on a velvet cushion, while his corpulent frame, attired in a puce-colored silk dressing gown, was luxuriously buried in a huge tapestry chair, so stuffed and rounded that the elbow never incurred the risk of meeting an angle. Seated beside the hearth, where the fire glowed and sparkled before her master's chair, Dame Bridget, the old housekeeper, prepared the coffee with deep care and anxiety. And a second valet, not less urbane in his manner and appearance than the first, carved the wing of the fowl which the holy man waited for without either impatience or disquietude. Joseph and Consuela bowed on recognizing in their benevolent host the canon major of the cathedral chapter of St. Stephen, before whom they had sung that very morning. End of chapter 77